May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight. O God, our Lord, As heaven has been said this morning, is Christ the King of Thunder? It's the end of our liturgical year. The last Sunday of Pentecost is always Christ the King of Thunder. But this feast day is a relatively new addition to our liturgical calendar. It was added in the beginning of the 20th century. And as the rise of secularism states changing, Today is a celebration of the kingdom to come and the reign of Christ, the place where we truly belong. It's a day when we dig into the contrast between our current political configurations and the kingdom of God. A reminder that our true belonging is to a different order of government. One thing I really appreciate about this gospel reading is the clarity of it. Over the past few weeks, we've listened to other parts of Jesus' final conversation with his disciples. We heard the parable of the Lazarus and the parable of the Christ. And parables are beautiful. They're beautiful because their meaning is clear. It makes it possible to have different interpretations for different times. It can mean something different for what we are going through in our life at different points of time and time. But they require those interpretations. The past, the parable is open ended and necessitates application to today's world. And in contrast, today Jesus' words this morning don't need interpreting. The meaning is right there for all of us to see plain and clear. These are the things we should do with See the hungry, give a drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the person. It's not a great for us at 
So this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts with you. The first is an observation that Jesus is speaking to the disciples alone. Frequently, we hear Jesus speaking to crowds, or speaking to those who are or sitting down at a dinner table with a whole group of diverse people, but here it's just Jesus and the disciples alone. He's speaking to them about judgment. Friends, Jesus is last week in ministry in Jerusalem, where we have been in the scriptures for most of the fall. He speaks vividly against the religious leaders. Against the chief priests, against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees, against them all, he condemns their hypocrisy, criticizes their hateful actions, and calls them to be different people in the world. I wonder if the disciples want to judge a little bit about themselves, maybe a little too good about themselves. They were the ones who were given up everything to follow Jesus, they made the right decisions. They were the right ones, and Jesus was speaking against the others who was clearly wrong. Maybe they got a little puffed up. But here, Jesus is just speaking to them. And he speaks of the judgment to come. It's this idea that no matter how good or how many of us how many great decisions we've made, we will all face some sort of judgment. It's not like we reach a certain point spiritually or we make a certain choice, and then it's all over, and we can put our feet off, and we can do our best, and we can do our There's a performative aspect to our faith. Our faith is something that is raised up and is continued to be raised in Western Christianity, there is no Within Christianity, about the goal of good works and our salvation, this thing to promise thing that reformation has their Protestants, their church, and our lives get Catholic. And sometimes what we say is we rely too much on good works and our lives faith. But I'm worried about this kind of time, and perhaps the bigger message is that there is no difference between faith and good works. You see, we as human beings like to categorize things and make them into separate entities. It's either one or the other, either or, but maybe that's not how things work. Perhaps we can't separate faith from good works. Perhaps we can't say that they're different things. And honestly, why do we want to separate them? Because faith not expressed in good works isn't faith. Faith is, is not just a thought experiment or an intellectual exercise, but a lived life. And Jesus is saying to the disciples of the judgment of what they do to judgment of what they hope to do. The disciples were just put their feet on the past of us live for the good The second thing about this passage that stood out to me was this idea of obedience. 
both ends of the left hand and the right, were covered in a, a sort of veil of ignorance. They didn't realize that what they did or didn't do was done in respect to the truth. And I think this ignorance is significant. You see, it prevents those these things from becoming a list of things Too often in Christian morality, we can see the cultures as a list of do's and don'ts. Morality becomes more about we have to not do all of these things, we have to do all of these things, and if we miss the mark, we have to feel really guilty about it. And it becomes more so this over a way of being. If you consider the actions those being righteous, their actions were just an extension of themselves, something that came out of them naturally. They didn't perform them to be just before the king. They didn't perform them for some sort of reward. If ignorance exists, I guess they're trying to describe the actions of those being performed. It's more about being. It's more about being holy, being aligned with the dark, divine, being like Christ, than jumping through required hoops. Because if we just do something because we're required to, if we perform an action so we can get a reward, it doesn't mean that it isn't it makes our faith stop in one dimension. Our faith is a living relationship with God. And we are to be transformed by that relationship, by that sacred love. And the people we become are people who share that love, who act in love, not just performing loving acts, because that is what we should do. But letting the love still out and overflow the theologian Ulrich Lawson, thinking about this passage, writes the good, especially love, can only be done for its own sake. We perform actions that justify us before the king because those actions of the love we are supposed to receive without searching for reward. It's a problem of being a Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that these things we just are saying are kind of like theoretical. You know, that we don't have to do that. We really are to do that with give a drink for the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe and make it care for the sick and visit. As a matter of fact, in the early church, this was taken so incredibly serious that one of the greatest orators of our tradition, in the fourth century, John Christopher preached that every Christian should actually have a place in their own homes reserved for those who are unmasked. Imagine what that's the would be willing to do that to create 
and just the answer is that we are not here for that answer, but open up your own home to anyone who was in need. And we didn't get to, you know, do a background check on these people to know where they were from, but anyone in need could come into your own home and find that they want and comfort and food. It's not that the grand agencies and actions are constant, rather that they should be things that we want to do. Things that come naturally to us, that urge we to do in our hearts, at the core of our human life. Finally, the stories of Jesus teach us as we celebrate Christ the King, this text shows us a very different monarchy from what happens to the It's not about opposition, it's not about maintaining power, it's not about the right to be class or The ones in the world doesn't value Christ the King values the next generation. This King is the one who celebrates the day and has called to allow ourselves to want the Son to live with her in place. With a kingdom in which our true citizenship is Become more like a citizen of the heavenly kingdom each and every day. And always feed the hungry, give the drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the sick. 